It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder. 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with a quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll get immediately. He got the handoff. You know that's the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the Vivid Seats Studios, get yourself up to 100 bucks off on your very first purchase when you download the Vivid Seats mobile app and use the promo code OVERTIME. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason, and I am joined for the return of the Chronicles of Nania by the man this show is named for, resident stat nerd and numbers geek for TurnOnTheJets.com, Gangrene Nation, Elite Sports New York, and about 12 other websites that I can't remember, Mr. Michael Nania. Michael, welcome back, sir. It's great to have you. It's good to be back. Chronicles is a lot of fun to do. Fun to focus on, you know, what I like best, the numbers. So uh, it's good to be back. And the hype, What I'm not the only thing that's back. The hype with this team is back, too. And, and I'm really excited for this Monday night game coming up. It just, it was so... The team was so dormant, so boring. It was just getting uh, hard to watch. But Darnold comes back, sparks the team, and I'm really hyped now for this game. Like it, I'm really into this. I can't wait for Monday night. So it's fun again. Sam Darnold has made this season uh, what we expected it to be. No question about it, Michael. Sam Darnold has made this season fun again for Jets fans, and his performance was so good against the Dallas Cowboys that he was named AFC Offensive Player of the Week. You can bet on whether or not he's going to do that again in a whole bunch of other prop bets over at mybookie.ag. You can also get in on the action and bet early on the Jets to cover the spread against the New England Patriots. Curious to see what my brother Craig says about that game when he comes on the show on Sunday to give his picks. I have a feeling he's going to pick the Jets again. He had them with the points against the Cowboys and even advised people to take the money line the last time that he was on. He was right about both. So if he hit on that, you should probably continue to listen to him and cash in on his advice over at mybookie.ag. If you go over there right now and sign up using the promo code OVERTIME, you can get your first deposit matched in full. They will double your first deposit if you sign up at mybookie.ag using the promo code OVERTIME. Bet on the Jets, any of the other games around the league, or as I said, prop bets, whether or not Sam Darnold is going to have the type of game that he did against the Cowboys, whether or not Le'Veon Bell is going to break out with a huge 100-yard-plus rushing game, how many touchdowns Tremaine Johnson is going to be victimized for. Let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that the Jets can get some pressure on him so it doesn't happen that much. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win. And you get paid. Michael, let's continue talking about Sam Darnold and the numbers that you have that really get to the heart of why Sam Darnold was selected as the AFC's Offensive Player of the Week this past week. If you watch the game, you know, but these stats really pound the point home. And let's start with this. Sam Darnold's quick release. We criticized Luke Falk over and over again for how long he held the ball and how many sacks he took. Sam Darnold was the polar opposite of that on Sunday against the Cowboys. 
Yeah, so the Jets were definitely getting the ball out a lot quicker in this game, and it really helped the O-line too because the pass protection numbers the Jets put up in this game, Darnold got – he only took two sacks. Uh, he had no knockdowns other than those two and only a total of 10 pressures, which was the lowest the Jets the, – the fewest the Jets have given up this season. So the O-line did pass protect better, which we will talk about more. I'm sure I have some other stats on them, but – Getting the ball out quick definitely really helped, and especially at the tackle spots. I think Chuma Idoga kind of struggled in this game, but it didn't really show up as obviously because they were getting the ball out really quick, and it kind of mitigated uh, Demarcus Lawrence and their edge rushers. So uh, second quickest release time of the week, 2.24 seconds from snap to throw. Uh, so getting the ball out quick, and that's definitely a huge upgrade. And it's obvious if you watch the game, but Luke Falk obviously took forever to get through his reads just – Really, really struggled with scanning the field. But Darnold comes in, and you could just see how comfortable he was in this offense. And so the quick release really helped the offensive line kind of mitigate their struggles, although they did play really well outside of, I think, the interior trio pass protected a lot better. Having Darnold back really cut down on the communication issues. The free rushers that we saw, you know, getting at Luke Falk the past two weeks constantly, and even in week one when Darnold was out there, it wasn't happening as much. So uh, the quick release and just having Darnold back really helped the offensive line. But you know, getting the ball out quick, he was scanning the field and just he, there were so many plays where you just saw, especially that uh, the the route to Crowder in the beginning of the game, that amazing uh, touch throw he laid over the top. That right there, he knew where he's going to go. So Darnold was on point getting the ball out quick, but the Jets definitely did emphasize getting the ball out really quickly, and that helped the, the offensive line look a lot better. And his passing itself was phenomenal. You have a tremendous stat here that compares Darnold to the following players, Patrick Mahomes, Kurt Warner, and Tony Romo. Some pretty elite company. What's going on with this stat? Yeah, so, you know, I, I and anyone who follows me knows I like to throw out these kind of ridiculous but still pretty impressive stats with these, you know, criteria that, you know, no one's probably, you know, actually looking for, but they're facts nonetheless. So Darnold put up, uh, 100 in this game against the Cowboys, over 100 pass rating, over nine yards per attempt, two at least two passing touchdowns, and on at least 30 passing attempts. So yesterday or the Sunday's game uh, against the Cowboys was the third time he has done all those things in a game. Over 100 pass rating, uh, nine yards per attempt, two passing touchdowns on at least 30 pass attempts. And you know I think that the the passing attempt total is important because a lot of guys will have blowout games or they'll get like a, a high passer rating and high yards per 10, but they only throw like 10 passes because, you know, they get one bomb in the beginning of the game, they go up big, then they run the ball the rest of the game. But to be efficient on a high volume is definitely a lot more, obviously a lot more valuable than doing it on a lower volume. So third game meeting those uh, those criteria for Darnold, obviously this was only his 15th career start. So doing that three times within his first 16 starts, he's only the fourth guy ever to do that. Along with the guys you mentioned, Patrick Mahomes did it four times, Kurt Warner did it four times, and Tony Romo did it three times. So those are the only other guys who have done uh, had three games of that caliber within their first 16 career starts. So specific criteria, yes, but uh, just you can really slice it up in a lot of different ways. But the high point games that Darnold has had uh, to start his career, you look at the Colts game, the Texans game, Packers game, the debut against the Lions. He's had some really, really high points that, uh, most other young quarterbacks have not hit as frequently to start their careers. Obviously, he had some low points that bring his overall numbers down. The Cleveland game last year, obviously the Miami game, the Minnesota game, the Chicago game, New England at the end of the season. Uh, although he didn't play too badly in those Bears and Patriots games, he did have 
some road games last year that brought his overall numbers down. But the high points that he's put up this early in his career, not a lot of guys have touched, and this stat kind of hits on that. It doesn't necessarily prove anything conclusively, but it does show you that there is a ton of potential there with Sam Darnold because obviously if you're able to put up games like that, even if it's a small sample size, it means that you have the type of talent to become an elite quarterback in the NFL. doesn't mean you're necessarily going to reach that ceiling, but it means that the ceiling is there, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just because, like, there are a ton of stats you can put out there where Darnold's with terrible names. If you look at his games, you know, like the ones I mentioned, uh, not a lot of guys have had games that poorly to start their career. So uh, there are a million and endless ways you could slice any player's stats, you know, just pick out their best games, pick out their worst games. But there, there are a lot of things that, you know, even where you don't go too specific with the criteria, uh, just the way Darnold's been able to start his career, the good games he's been able to have, not a lot of guys have been able to do it. And, you know, like this stat shows, and not that anyone's out there looking for, oh, yeah, who has the most 100 pass rating, nine yards per attempt, two passing touchdown, 30-plus pass attempt games. No one's actually looking for that. But just when you compare Darnold's best games and, you know, just seeing throughout history how many players have had, you know, as many games or games as good at that young of an age, not a lot of people have been able to do it. And another thing this stat, Darnold is only 22 uh, all three of those other guys who did it, Warner and Tony Romo, were way up there by the time they did it. I think, I think Romo was twenty six, Warner was twenty five when they did it, and Mahomes was twenty three. So Darnold is even younger than those guys were when they did it. So uh, nothing tells you guarantees anyone's going to be good uh, just because they're in the company of those guys. But it's still good to see that they're doing things that typically people who have done the same have gone on to be successful. Something magical about the age 22 in New York right about now, considering that we're looking at Sam Darnold and Gleyber Torres both blossoming right in front of our eyes, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. The two kings of New York sports right now, I'd say, (laughs) without a doubt. No question about it. But if Sam Darnold wants to continue to wear that crown, he's going to have to rely on his weapons in the passing game. And those weapons in the passing game were pretty much invisible while Luke Falk was the quarterback. Sam Darnold comes back and boom, all of a sudden, they're off to the races. Sam Darnold has only played two games with Jamison Crowder so far. One of them he had mono during, so it's kind of interesting that he was able to put up the type of numbers that he did even during that first game against the Bills. But boy, the two of them are off to a really nice start together, aren't they? Yeah, and, and we definitely heard it, you know, from everyone who's at training camp throughout the offseason, the chemistry those two guys were showing. And in the two games they played, we've obviously seen it in the first game, like you mentioned. Uh, in that game, I think a lot of people were kind of uh, complaining, like, oh, Crowder caught 14 passes, 17 targets, didn't even get 100 yards. Well, if he got one more yard, he would be at 100. And he caught six first downs in that game, which is really, really good. So uh, I think that in the first game, he was catching a lot of shorter passes, didn't get those bigger yardage plays, but he still moved the chain six times, which is really, really good. Chris Godwin leads the league in first down receptions per game. He averages about six of those per game. So if you're getting six first down catches in a game, that's good. And then against the Cowboys, he had 98 yards on six catches. So he had the big plays going in this game. And I think that's what was really exciting about Crowder when they signed him for me, is that he's a good big play guy for a slot receiver. We talked about the numbers a few times on here on the offseason about, you know, his uniqueness as a slot receiver, uh, producing those big plays more than most other guys of the position can. And we saw that on display against the Cowboys. I, I believe he had three, 20, uh, three catches over 20 yards in that game, but six catches, 98 yards, four first downs. So you're looking at two games with Darnold now, 20 catches 
averaging 98 and a half yards, five first downs. And like I said, Godwin leads the league with six first down receptions per game. If Crowder averaged five first down receptions per game uh, over the season to date, he'd be tied for second in the league with Michael Thomas. So the production Crowder's put up, even though one of those games, Sam Darnold had mono, uh, has been really, really good. So will he be averaging 100 yards per game throughout the entire season? Probably not, especially once Chris Herndon gets back, uh, you know, once Le'Veon Bell starts to get more involved in the passing game. He's not going to sustain those numbers the whole year, but the start has been really good, and he doesn't even have to be that good to be worth the contract he signed to make a good impact. But uh, so far, he's really produced well in those two games with Darnold. And we know that he has great chemistry with Robbie Anderson, too, because we saw it the last four games of last season. But boy, did I see it live and in living color at MetLife Stadium on Sunday against the Dallas Cowboys, particularly on that 92-yard bomb. He had over 150 yards receiving, Robbie Anderson did, on Sunday against the Cowboys. And Sam Darnold and Robbie Anderson continue to cook together. I'm not sure how well he's going to do against Stephon Gilmore on Monday night because Gilmore always seems to have a way of shutting him down. But he is off to a really nice start with Sam Darnold, particularly since Darnold started to play well at the end of last season. He has been counting on Robbie Anderson to come through and make some plays, and Robbie has done that for him. Yeah, and and on that 92-yard play, just watching at home, that was probably the loudest I've gone for a Jets play since (laughs) probably that Eric Decker touchdown 2015. I went insane. It was just incredible. But but like you said, Anderson, uh, you know, when a starting quarterback goes out, when you're playing with the quarterback uh, as bad as Luke Falk was, the receiver's numbers are going to take hits, and, you know, they'll get criticized for that, like, oh, why isn't he doing more? But this game and really why that touchdown was so amazing, it's just just the – the verification, just the, you know, just knowing that these guys, or Robbie in particular, has been getting open, has been winning his routes, getting open deep, and just Luke Falk wasn't getting him the ball, but you get him a quarterback that can throw the ball, and his his wins on uh, as a route runner are going to be rewarded with production, and that's what we've really seen throughout Anderson's whole career now. So since 2017, he's played about, uh, how many games has he played? I'm looking at it here. So he's played 27 games in which his starting quarterback started the game so McCown 2017 Darnold uh last two seasons uh and then eight games started by a backup and you look at his production uh when the starting when the starter has played versus when he's played with the backup when his starter's been out there his per 16 game pace has been about 60 catches a thousand yards eight touchdowns so that's legitimate production right there you're going to make some pro bowls with that uh that any team in the league would like to have a guy who can get you those numbers per season and that's who Robbie Anderson has been when his starters have been healthy, but when they haven't been healthy, his per 16 game pace has been 50 catches, about 500 yards, and he hasn't caught a single touchdown in those eight games. So averaging about 34 yards per game in the eight games, his starter has been out, no touchdowns in those games. So uh, it just goes to show you that it, it goes both ways. The quarterback needs the receiver to help him out. The receiver needs the quarterback to help him out. Uh, and so it doesn't matter how open you get. The quarterback isn't getting the ball. It's going to be hard to get that production, but We've consistently seen now, we saw it last year, uh, as soon as Darnold came back in that Buffalo game that, you know, once once Robbie gets his starter out there, he's really producing at a high level. So it was really good to see, you know, he had five catches, 125 yards. Three of those were first downs. He had, uh, in addition to the bomb, he had two other first down receptions. One of them, a nice back shoulder catch. One of them, just a short out route uh, for a first down near the red zone. So uh, it was good to see just Sam Darnold come right back and Robbie did bust out like we know he's capable of doing. So uh, when his starters, and now with Darnold too, they continued what they were doing at the end of last season, obviously against Buffalo, 
They missed on a few deep balls at the end. Afterward, we learned that Darnold was, you know, obviously dealing with mono in that game. And, you know, that's why it was easier for him to get that production to Crowder because he's mostly just dumping the ball off. But to Robbie on those deep passes, they were just off in a couple of those ones late in the game. So, but at the end of last season, I believe Anderson was one of six receivers who had uh, over 300 yards and three touchdowns over the last three or over the last four weeks of the season. And they picked up right where they left off uh, with Darnold finally healthy in this Cowboys game. So it was really good to just see, you know, the continuing theme that this is the third year in a row we've seen it that, you know, he's going to be quiet when the backup's out because he's not going to get that chemistry going down the field with Luke Falk. But once his starter gets back out there, Robbie is, uh, he shows you what he really is uh, in terms of what he does as a route runner, what he's doing independent of the quarterback. He is a top five to 10 deep threat in the league. And once his uh, starter has been out there, he's produced like it. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Michael, I got to tell you, it wasn't just loud in your house. Trust me. It was the loudest I've heard MetLife Stadium be for a Jets game in quite some time. It's nice to have that feeling back where the fans don't feel like the game is hopeless, which is the feeling that a lot of us had watching this team without Sam Darnold. He gives the team a whole new life. Just the same way that the defense helps to give the team a whole new life when they actually get at the quarterback. It's nice to see the energy that they can bring when they don't have to be on the field 80% of the game. They were able to get to Dak Prescott in this game. They didn't necessarily have a ton of sacks, but the pressures, Michael, the pressures were huge. They were able to keep Dak Prescott off his game and keep him on his toes the entire time. It played a big role in his early struggles. The Jets may not have gotten the big stat numbers like we talked about, and a lot of people only look at that, but the pressures this week were absolutely outstanding, and this is the kind of effort that we need to see on a regular basis if this Jets defense is going to make the type of impact that it did against the Cowboys on Sunday. 
Yeah, they only sacked him one time. Jordan Jenkins got, and it wasn't even a really legitimate sack. Jordan Jenkins got him from behind on what was essentially a covered sack, but they knocked him down eight times. That's tied for the most uh, the Cowboys have allowed this season, and they pressured him any kind of pressure. You know, they only sacked him one time, like I said, eight hits, which is really good, the most Cowboys have allowed, but any kind of pressure, 55% of Prescott's dropbacks, 23 out of 42. That was the highest rate of any quarterback in week six. So the pressure was there. They did a really good job. Uh, Greg Williams dialed up some really good blitzes, obviously most notably on the two-point play, but the defensive line did a really good job in this game. And, and also Jordan Jenkins on the edge. He led the team with five pressures. He made an instant impact coming back. The Jets got nothing out of their edge group uh, while he was out, but he comes back and does a pretty good job. Continue that the uh, pass rushing pro- uh, progression that we've seen from him uh, especially last year in 2018. Brandon Copeland didn't really play in this game. I think I think he only played seven snaps, but I'm sure he'll get more involved later on. But Jenkins made impact. Defensive line was really good. Fadakasi, Leonard Williams, uh, even Quinton Williams did a really good job, specifically in the run game, which we have another stat on later. But uh, all those guys up front did a really good job creating pressure. The blitzes were well-timed by Williams. So a really good job with the pass rush in this game, even though they only got the one sack. Prescott, uh, Prescott was really flustered. Throughout most of this game, he had he had some inaccurate throws in this game. And I know his stats. I think he ended up with close to 300 yards, but there were some throws that he, you know, could have been a lot bigger plays, could have given the receiver a lot more room to get some yards after the catch, but he threw them a little bit behind a few times, and the pressure was a huge reason that was happening. And there were some throwaways. Uh, at the, the play in the beginning of the game, I think it was Cowboys' first drive where uh, Prescott just threw it up, and it looked like Tremaine Johnson deflected it, but. What what happened on that play was Leonard Williams destroyed Travis Frederick, got right into Prescott's chest, gave him a huge shot, and that led to him throwing the ball up. So a lot of plays like that in this game with the Jets winning up front and forcing Prescott to make a, a less than ideal throw. Even if it was a completion, still taking yards away by just uh, reducing the yak potential by making the throw inaccurate. So things like that, the Jets did a ton of, even if you're not getting a sack. The sack is the ultimate prize. You want to get those. But even if you're not getting them, you can still make an impact. Uh, with pressure and they did that plenty in this Cowboys game so I I think that's going to be the theme all year it really has been for the Jets for a few years and it's going to be until you can get an edge guy who's you know a true sack artist because that's where most sacks come from uh, unless you're Aaron Donald but uh, this is going to be the theme for this team Greg Williams calling blitzes at the right time uh, the defensive line creating pressure and uh, the back end taking advantage of that pressure and just tackling well, limiting yards after the catch, being opportunistic with turnovers, which they didn't do in this game. They did have two drop picks. Brian Poole had one. Marcus May had one. But uh, just making an impact with pressure, and that's going to be something the Jets obviously show in this game they're capable of doing. So if they can keep doing that, this can be a a solid defense, especially once Mosley gets back. And, of course, the most important pressure of the game was the last play when Jamal Adams looked like he was shot out of a cannon coming at Dak Prescott. And afterwards, Michael, I wish you would have been there in the stadium with me because Jamal Adams ran around like the ultimate warrior, pumping up the crowd, waving his helmet, waving his hands, slapping everybody five, hugging everybody. It was a beautiful moment at MetLife Stadium. And if the defense continues to pressure quarterbacks like that and continues to play this well, 
We are going to see a lot more moments like that going forward, and we are certainly going to see them if the defensive line continues to perform the way that they did against the Cowboys on Sunday, specifically Quinn Williams and Kyle Phillips, who were an absolute force against the running game. They also had plenty of plays in the passing game, too, and I'll let you talk about that, but you've got a really cool stat here about their impact in the running game on Sunday. Yeah, in the run game, this is where Quinn and Williams really stood out. So, and Phillips as well. So, those two guys were each in on five run tackles that uh, stopped the runner for a gain of one yard or less. That was that tied them to for the most among defensive linemen in week six. So, they are really active in the run game. Uh, the Jets did struggle in run defense at times, you know, especially that one drive to start the second half, in which I think Elliott carried the ball 10 times in that drive. But so they're, they were not perfect in run defense, and I think that fell on the linebackers. I think Cashman and Hewitt really struggled in this game, but the defensive line got a lot of stuffs in this game, especially early on, and that allowed the Jets to kind of take control of the game. And Quinn and Williams and Kyle Phillips are really in the middle of it, but especially Q. And he had one play where he uh, was being – he's being blocked by both uh, Travis Frederick and Zach Martin, maybe the best interior duo in the league. Obviously, Frederick is uh, still kind of recovering from – uh, the injury that kept him out last season, but still one of the most talented duos in the league, disengaged both of them, got in uh, to stop uh, Zeke Elliott for the short run. So Quinnen was really active in the run game and made some good plays in the pass game too, but it was definitely the run game where he dominated the most. And he got a lot of those plays against Zach Martin, who's one of the best right guards in the league. So, But Phillips as well came out of nowhere. And really the whole defensive line kind of showed up this game. Fadakasi was amazing in this game. He didn't put up as many run stuffs in the box score as these guys, but his penetration was the most obviously good watching it live. He's consistently getting a penetration in the backfield. That kind of helps some of these other guys, Quinton Williams, Kyle Phillips, uh, Leonard Williams too defended the run pretty well. I think he was a little more active as a pass rusher in this game. He did have four pressures, really solid game, a bounce back game for him. He's received a lot of deserved credit recently, had entered this game with back-to-back games against the Eagles and Patriots. Uh, no tackles for loss, zero pressures, penalty in each game. So really, really rough stretch for him, but he bounced back strong in this game. So the Jets took full advantage of an offensive line that was uh, missing its two tackles, but this is still a unit that had Travis Frederick and Zach Martin inside, and uh, they played really well against those guys. So the defensive line played well in this game, both run and pass, but especially in the run game. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. As you mentioned, Michael, the defense has had its moments of poor performance. That drive that you singled out with Ezekiel Elliott just destroying the Jets would be one of them. But overall, especially considering the injuries that they've had, they've performed at a very high level, much higher than many of us would have expected with C.J. Mosley out, with the poor cornerback play, with Avery Williamson out, with Jordan Jenkins having been hurt, and so on down the line, Henry Anderson We have to give some of the credit to Greg Williams, but we also have to give some of the credit to the players who've stepped up and performed above expectations, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, like you said, Jets have battled so many injuries on defense. Uh, They play tough offensive 
uh, tough offenses, Cowboys, Patriots, Eagles, all top 10 in per drive scoring. They've gotten no field position help from the offense. They have the second worst average starting field position in the league, starting on average at the 30, uh, the opponent's 32 yard line. So they've gotten no help whatsoever, no luck from injuries. But right now we sit here, the Jets are 12th and fewest points allowed per drive, 11th and fewest yards allowed per drive, despite all those things we mentioned. So I do think the Jets have been a little bit lucky with the way opposing quarterbacks have played. I'd say every quarterback they played, except Brady, kind of had a below-average game independent of what the Jets did, uh, especially Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz and Josh Allen, those first three games. In this Cowboys game, Amari Cooper left the game. Cobb didn't play. Tackles didn't play. Uh, so they have had a little bit of luck, but at the same time, they haven't had anything go for them with injuries at, and the offense. So uh, definitely a lot of credit for Greg Williams especially, I think, deserves the most. But the guys on the field, I think guys who have stepped up, like uh, I think Nate Harrison in that Browns game really helped him out. Uh, Daryl Roberts, I think, struggled for the most part, but he was good uh, in that Browns game, I think, as well. But then uh, really up front, too, Steve McClendon, I think, stepped up really big. I think Jamal Adams has picked up the slack for everybody else, and Marcus May as well. I think those two guys have really uh, picked up a lot of slack for everyone else. So, Greg Williams, I think, deserves a lot of credit. I think they've been a little bit lucky, but at the, end, at the end of the day, you look at this production, given everything they've had to deal with, being top 12 in per drive scoring defense, that's really, really good. So you're going to get C.J. Mosley back soon. You already got Jordan Jenkins back. Brandon Copeland seems like he's working his way back uh, into the starting lineup. So when you're getting a lot of uh, people back. The schedule is going to ease up. So the way things are going, it really does seem like this is a Jets defense that could uh, make a strong play to be top 10 in the league this year. And that, that's just crazy to think, uh, given the way that, you know, just watching them, it hasn't even really seemed like they've played that well. But uh, with the way things are trending, Greg Williams has done a really good job. Great performance against the Cowboys. And uh, having C.J. Mosley back should make a really big impact because we, we saw in the Bills game, he went out. That's when everything collapsed for the defense and the entire team. But last few games, it hasn't really been – uh, it has that has not really continued. Uh, I do think Blake Cashman kind of struggles in run defense, but Hewitt has done a mostly good job in run defense. Struggled against the Cowboys, but uh, really the defensive line has kind of picked up the slack. I mentioned McClendon, Kyle Phillips has played well, Fadakasi, Quinn Williams when he's been out there in the run game. So credit to Greg Williams, credit to everyone else for j- just kind of coming together and uh, having having a whole that's greater than the sum of the parts because these numbers are very very uh, very solid given uh, what they've had to deal with. And with the people they're starting to get back, Mosley, Jenkins, Copeland, uh, there's a potential for this defense to really take off going uh, over the rest of the season. Michael, I want to ask you about the stats that you used to talk about the efficiency of the Jets' defense. Points per drive and yards per drive. A lot of people will use overall points and overall yards allowed as the measuring stick. I know you don't like those statistics and you like these better. Can you explain the value of the ones that you used and the misleading nature of the stats that other people tend to use? Because I think it's really interesting how you break this down and why you think that these stats are more valuable than the more commonly used ones. Yeah, so the thing about points per drive that I really like is, you know, at the end of the day, the goal in football is to score as many points as you can, more than the other team, and to score as many... Uh, when you get the ball, the, your main goal, unless it's the end of the game, you're trying to run the clock out, your main goal is to score as many points as you can on that drive. And the thing that makes it better than points per game is, well, first of all, most uh, places that track points per game, it includes defensive touchdowns, it includes special teams touchdowns, safeties, all that stuff. So it can be misleading because... Like, look at the Patriots right now. Right now, the Patriots have the most 
points in the league, but their offense is actually only 10th in points per drive. And that's because I think they have five non-offensive touchdowns. So points per game can be misleading because of the non-offensive touchdown. So if you're just looking to see how good an offense is at scoring, points per drive is a lot better than just points per game. And also pace of play is big because some teams will play overtime games that allow them to score more points. Some teams will just, you know, play more quickly. They play at a faster pace. They score quickly. Or some teams play at a really slow pace that in which their games don't have a lot of drive. So at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter how many points you score. It's how many points you score per drive. If both teams get the ball one time, in the whole game, then uh, if you're score, if you score in that only drive, then you did your job. It doesn't matter how many drives you get. It's just what you do with those drives. So uh, pace of play can make some teams look better on offense than they really are. Uh, if you're constantly going three and out, your defense constantly forced teams to go three and out, you're going to get a lot of drives and a lot of opportunities, but you might not do as much with those as a team that takes its time to score the ball. It doesn't really matter how long you take to score it as long as you're scoring it. So Per drive is a really good way, uh, a much, a much more, a much better way uh, than just total points, especially because it doesn't include non-offensive touchdowns. But total yards is a huge thing that really bothers me. I really do not like when I see people say, "Oh, the Jets have the 21st ranked defense," or "The Patriots have the number third, uh, number three ranked offense," or something like that. Because you're just basing that, you know, how many yards a team has shows you how good they are. That that's their rank, but. It's not really how it is. You know, like I just said, it's about scoring points. Uh, those yards you get don't mean anything if you're not scoring. If you start a drive to one yard line, drive 98 yards, and you kick a field goal, then that's not really all that productive of a drive. It's nice, but uh, if you're not scoring the red zone, if you're not picking up third downs, then those yards really don't mean all that much. And another thing that really kind of makes those numbers misleading is the fact that if you're looking at run or pass, a team that's leading a lot, they're going to run the ball a lot to run the clock out at the end of the game. That's going to make the run game look better. They're not going to pass the ball as much if they're leading uh, throughout the entirety of second half, so it's going to make their passing numbers look worse. So it, it's all about efficiency, and other sports do it. We see it in baseball. They There are so many efficiency stats that are used there now. In basketball, it's pretty much custom to just look at you know per-possession offense and defense, not points per game. Uh, most uh, pretty much that's what how people look at it in the NBA now. So the NFL has got to be that way too. So uh, you got to look at, you know, yards per play or points per drive yards per drive. Just efficiency is a lot more important than volume is really the bottom line. And especially if you're looking at just run or just pass, you know, just because a team is 28th in rushing yards, it doesn't mean they're the 28th best rushing offense. What if a team is runs the ball really well, but, they can't run it a lot because they're always trailing. Then they're not going to get as many rushing yards because they run it as much because they're trailing so much because what if their defense is terrible? But what if that team is actually number one in yards per attempt and number one in finishing in short yards situations, but they're really low in yards because other parts of the team aren't getting it done. So I think you got to look a lot deeper than that. So uh, whenever someone mentions that oh, Jets are 30th ranked, whatever in passing yardage or oh the Seahawks are 12th and the Seahawks are the 12th ranked rushing defense you can't just look at total yards it doesn't tell you how good that team actually is at that facet of the game it it tells you exactly what it is says they're 12th in yards that's all it tells you if you really want to see how good they are at that you got to look a lot deeper at their yardage efficiency converting in key situations red zone third down short yardage all that kind of stuff so there's a lot more to it than just total yards I don't think it tells you anything 
Reminds me a lot of the arguments that you have around baseball statistics because some people will talk about stats like RBIs and runs scored, and then I'll say those don't really matter. They don't tell you that much. People say, what do you mean they show how productive you are? Look at runs. It means that you're on base a lot. Yeah, that's why you look at on base percentage. And then they'll say, oh, RBIs, that shows that you knock in runs. Yeah, okay, but a lot of that has to do with who's on base when you come up to the plate. It's all about what you do with your opportunities and like Mm -hmm. RBIs. That's dependent on having teammates who can get on base. Runs scored is dependent on having teammates who can knock you in. That's not stuff that you can control. And, And in football, one good example is last year, I think the Browns were 30th in defensive yards allowed. So there were probably a lot of people out there said, oh, the Browns had the 30th ranked defense. Their defense was really awful last year. But if you look beyond that, the Browns played four overtime games. So that gives them uh, – that means they're playing a lot more football than most other teams are. And they played the, they defended the second most drives in the league. Only the Jets actually played more defensive drives than they did. So they're on the field a lot. And that's you know a product of pace of play, the offense not doing too well. So they played a lot of drives. But on a per-drive basis, they were – Top twelve in both or uh, top half of the league in both scoring defense and yards uh, yards per drive defense. Even though they were thirtieth in yards, so uh, total yards would tell you that they were a really bad defense. But if you look at per drive, if you look at their red zone efficiency, third down efficiency, uh, their turnover rate, they were top half of the league in pretty much everything. If you look at DVOA, which is a really good stat, uh, that kind of just encompasses everything down distance situation score. They're top 12 in DVOA. So the Browns defense was solid in metrics that matter last year, but a lot of people were probably misled by saying that, you know, they're 30th in yards allowed. So that means they were the 30th ranked defense, but that's completely not the case. So that's a really obvious example because of just some of the extreme things that happened for them, playing a lot of overtime games, playing a lot of defensive drives, but that happens a lot. And it's just, it just goes to show how misleading uh, total yards can be and why you should never say that just because the team is 30th in yards or the 30th ranked defense or offense. This is why I always say when you listen to Michael speak and when you read his work, you become a smarter Jets fan and a smarter football fan. And the good news is you get to be smarter twice a week now because Michael will be on Chronicles with me once a week. And, of course, he's got his own podcast with Ben Blessington, Cool Your Jets, which if you haven't been listening to that, you really should start. It's a great podcast. It's generally a fun back and forth between Michael and Ben. It's definitely a different vibe than when Ben was with Kyle, and it's a different vibe than when Michael is on the show with me. So you get Michael twice a week. What more could you ask for from the resident stat king and numbers nerd of Jets Twitter and, of course, of Elite Sports New York, Turn on the Jets, Gangrene Nation, and, as I say, Michael, about 25 other sites that I can't remember, but I hope you can because there are plenty of opportunities for people to read your work, too. Where can they do that? Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter at Michael underscore Nanny. I have most of my links, my stuff on there. And, you know, like you said, it's kind of like the privilege of being a wrestling fan now. You got me on, tw- got me twice a week, kind of like having SmackDown and Raw. Now you got mm-hmm. even more options with AEW. So uh, the, the whole Michael Nanny lineup, it's kind of similar to the, the wrestling structure right now. Oh, 100%. You are like SmackDown and Raw. I guess that means that Raw is the show with Ben Coolier Jets because it's a little bit longer. Yeah, and I'm it's, SmackDown. It's longer. That's your longer show. This is your quick, faster paced lineup. So this show is SmackDown and Cool Your Jets is Raw, although I would like to think that we don't have anywhere near as much filler on either one of the two shows 
as you will get on Raw and SmackDown. Michael, thanks again for joining me. Looking forward to having you for the rest of the way with Chronicles. We'll do another one next week, and I'm sure it's going to be just as fast-paced and action-packed as it was this week. In the meantime, go ahead and follow Michael on Twitter. Read his work in all the places that he publishes it. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.